You're listening to the Inner Shift podcast, where we believe in living awake and in your purpose. International teacher, speaker, and conscious entrepreneur Emily Perry will help you uncover your purpose, live intuitively, all while living a joyful, spiritual life. If you're ready to feel inspired and experience the inner shifts that will help you live a life you love, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, Emily Perry. You're listening to the Inner Shift Podcast, episode 34. In this episode, I interview Jamal Yogis on mindfulness and riding the ways of our lives. I'm so thrilled to share this one with you. It was such a great conversation. Jamal is a writer, teacher, and outdoorsman. His most recent book, Always Are Water, is a HarperCollins memoir that the BBC calls the best beach read of 2017, and the San Francisco Chronicle called evocative, articulate, and genuinely funny. Jamal is also the author of Saltwater Buddha, a coming-of-age memoir about running away to Hawaii at 16 and eventually winding up at Columbia Journalism School. Saltwater was praised by the Times of London, translated into numerous languages, and turned into a feature documentary film. Jamal's second book, The Fear Project, is a journalistic and scientific book featured in Oprah, Outside, and Forbes. And it's all about how we can live more courageously and fully through mindfulness, sports, and relationships. A graduate of Columbia Journalism School, Jamal's writing has won several journalism awards and appeared in the Washington Post, The Atlantic, ESPN Magazine, and many others. He lives in San Francisco with his wife, Amy Duras, and their three sons. Before we dive in, let me tell you about our show sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to emilyperryyoga.com audible and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to emilyperryyoga.com audible. Today's episode is also brought to you by Pathway to Purpose Live Purpose Breakthrough Weekend with me here in California, October 20th and 21st in 2018. This breakthrough weekend is all about finally getting to the root of what's holding you back. And you know Pathway to Purpose Live is for you if you're ready to move beyond self-doubt into self-trust, if you know it's time for you to start listening to your intuition more deeply, if you feel like there's something more for you out there in the world, but you just can't seem to name it, and you're willing to claim new beliefs that better align with your potential. Honestly, something magical happens when we commit to a weekend together. Honestly, something magical happens when we commit to a weekend together. Join us. You'll spend the weekend healing old patterns, uncovering your inner wisdom. You'll stand in your yes. You'll put a stake in the ground for what you're meant to do in the world. So come reclaim your energy and unleash your purpose with me. Head to pathwaytopurposelive.com and claim your spot. It's filling fast. We're about halfway full and I don't want you to miss out. Podcast, Jamal. Thank you, Emily. So nice to be here. So great to have you here. Um, I'm so excited that um, so recently you sent me actually a little while ago, um, All of Our Waves Are Water. And this was one of the first uh, books of yours that I read. So um, I did want to dive in a little bit um, about your, you know, into your books and some of the ways that you able you're able to weave, I think, mindfulness practices into our lives in such a really sweet and 
um, not like a heartfelt way, but a way that people can really relate to. And so I was just hoping that we got to like dive into some of that today. Um, so but I first wanted to just talk to you a little bit about how like there's some really amazing, just beautiful prose in this book. And what really connected you to some of these kind of mindfulness practices? Or where did you really get that first kind of hit where you felt like that was a, a call for you, a way you wanted to to go and study? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for the kind words on the book. Um, so, well, mindfulness and meditation were a little bit, um, you know, I was a little bit born into the cult, um, so to speak. My parents were you know, interested in meditation. My mom, um, sort of raised like agnostic Jewish and my dad Catholic, but very light. And they both, uh, started exploring Buddhism and yoga in the sixties and seventies and then named me Jamal after a Sikh, uh, yogi. They were studying under actually his a teacher's teacher. Uh-huh. They were studying under this guy, Sanchi and his teacher's teacher was Baba Jamal Singh. And, um, and so that's how I got my, uh-huh. my name. My dad wanted um, to call me Baba Jamal, and my mom mixed that. <laughs> so that's fortunate, I think. I've always been grateful for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> naming your kid master is probably not. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one to grow <laughs> into. <laughs> right. Yeah. What's your name mean? Um, so it was around the house and my parents meditated, but they weren't like super serious about it. We would occasionally go up to like ashrams and, or, um, like a mindfulness center with, you know, um, John Travis or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, um, well, I described this in my first book, Saltwater Buddha. It starts off when I ran away from home as a teenager, mm-hmm. um, ostensibly to learn to surf and to get away from like this just hard partying kind of high school life, which was just sort of the average American high school life. But I was getting into a lot of trouble uh, and I, I ran away to Hawaii, to Maui, um, got a one way ticket. My parents were looking for me and, and long story short, you know, paradise is pretty tough when you have no money and you're 16 and you don't like, and you're like on probation and worried about what you're doing. And, um, I was on probation for DUI and, and that's when meditate, I was like panic. I need something here. And, and surfing, I was just getting pummeled in the waves. And so that wasn't like the refuge that it later became. Um, and so I started trying to meditate and I picked up like a Thich Nhat Hanh book and was counting my breath. And there was an, and there was an immediate connection between what I was trying to do, learn to surf in the waves and meditate, um, because they were both extremely difficult. Like the waves were relentless in the ocean and my thoughts were relentless and I couldn't do this freaking count my breath. Like I couldn't get to 10. You know? Yeah. And I had I'm that like, experience too. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I could focus and um, I thought I'd be good at this, right? It's like in my family background, I'm named after Yogi, <laughs> but I couldn't and do it well. And it was just humbling. And I and I started comparing, you know, waves of emotion and waves of thought to waves of the sea. And there was an interesting connection that developed over time of like how emotions, though they seem so real, like they're just knocking us down or holding us under, they have they're they're porous and they're impermanent and Mm -hmm. if you sort of learn to be with them in a different way just like you learn to be with the waves of the ocean you can experience them differently and that idea sort of 
resurfaces again and again in all my books in different ways because I think it's the central thing that I've gotten from mindfulness practice over like a couple decades is um, to really accept my feelings and Mm -hmm. not fight against them. And it's similar to when you're surfing, like in the beginning, you fall on a wave and you struggle against it. And it's sort of really, it's really silly because you can't beat the wave. Like you're not stronger than the ocean. It's going to let you go when it's ready. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yet you do it and you just panic and you panic and you do it for years. And then at some point you learn that, Oh wait, I'm just in the water and I can just relax. And the, the wave goes by and then I resurface and I have my energy still. And I didn't like make that worse than it needed to be. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and it takes years and, and still to this day, you know, the bigger the wave, the more experience you need to be able to let go. And it's similar with emotions. And I think I kind of touch on that in my first two books and then all our waves are water, the book you jumped into first, mm-hmm. I think, I really wanted to tackle it because I was realizing, I think as I grew older, that these moments of just heartbreak or extreme frustration or extreme anger or it's just extreme, it's like extreme sports emotions were the opportunities to really learn when you were cracked open. And I didn't want them to be because I don't just wanted them to go away. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they weren't. And so I think... Um, you know, I think honestly, I probably would have let go of mindfulness and meditation because I'm like, this is a hassle. You have to sit there every day. I'd rather just kind of live my life and go, you know, why do I have to go sit still in a pretzel shape every day? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is that, you know, life is hard and it keeps coming up. And then you realize, oh, I need, I need some space to relate to this emotion to sort of ride out this emotion. And, um, and I always felt like those hardships brought me back to practice in a real way where I got to sort of dive a little deeper into the how juicy the practice is mm-hmm. um, because I was hurting. And, and so I, that's really where the sort of that, that idea in, in All Our Waves, Our Water came from. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting, too, because these difficult moments, like these are the opportunities that we have to like to grow and expand and like if you didn't have all that then you wouldn't have had these this insight into like the way your emotions work and like the the way that they have no ground really you know as a I think it was Troy and Trumpa used to always talk about how like our emotions have no ground like there's no they're not really real you know and so you get yeah. to see like they are like maybe this wave in the ocean but like they're actually just ocean intensified and then it's going to just dissolve into something else in a moment um and it's it's true like i feel like also like just having just these practices in our pocket for like when we really need them you know (laughs) like yeah so like when everything's going down you have like some sort of mental stability to like be able to be present for whatever is showing up in the moment and not freak out entirely (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, I like that you you brought up that Trump quote that, you know, emotions have no ground because there's I mean, that gets into the, you know, to use the the sort of um, nerdy term non-dual mm-hmm. practice space, which I think is is one that's so helpful when you get to um, the big extreme 
emotions of anger or heartbreak. Um, because emotions do have a ground kind of in karma in cause and effect, just like a wave does like a wave comes from a storm that's far away offshore. And it's, it's real in a sense that it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in its very essential nature, it's water. It's just the same as a still pond, you know? And so, and it, and it only has a ground in relationship to these, um, other energies. And so I feel like, you know, in crazy modern world life where, you know, you and I both have kids as we were talking about before the show. I mean, uh-huh. schedules are nuts and, um, there's so much cause and effect going on in your life. Totally. <laughs> like there's, there's no escape from like just sort of the waves are close together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so to get into any, so I think way of deep practice, you, um, you kind of have to force yourself into that non-dual space of like, there is actually this right here, this stormy day where like, you know, my kid just like, you know, had an accident right before school and I'm about to have a meeting and we don't have a change. And like, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, you have to enter that place of like, these emotions have no ground. Like this is okay right now. And this actually, this craziness like contains a fundamental okayness. And that's that sort of Trungpa would, and other uh-huh. like Chan and Dzogchen masters uh, come back to that again and again, that like, uh-huh. It's right now, like it's not coming someday. You're never gonna get to it if you're sort of like practicing on that level. And I feel like I, I don't get there very often where I can even remember to do that. Yeah. But, um, but when I do, it's it's the only thing that really works when um, when I'm sort of flat on my butt, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because um, and I think that's why being kicked flat on your butt is helpful because you're like, OK, I have to get off the treadmill of like being like, oh, now I'm feeling more peaceful. Now I've done a lot of practice. I'm even more peaceful. And now I'm feeling really good. I'm so healthy and I have so much time and I have a yoga treat ahead of me. Like mm-hmm. life is so great. And it's like, well, awesome if you have the ability to have those circumstances but those circumstances don't always present themselves and can you find you know a kind of fundamental okayness um when you don't have great health and the yoga treat like coming next week and you know what i'm saying yeah yeah oh yeah i mean in that fundamental okayness it's like i think when we can get to that place just i mean i talk a lot about resistance and um how a lot of times we find ourselves in signs and places in our lives where like, you know, you're just full of resistance to like what's happening. And so it's like, if we, when we stop resisting reality as it is in that moment, it's like, that's that fundamental okayness can, can show up, you know, it's like that becomes that awareness starts to really appear. Um, And so I love, yeah, I love that idea of just, you know, being able to be okay with what's showing up and it doesn't doesn't mean you have to love it <laughs> right <laughs> but um it definitely having that that kind of i mean a lot of my teachers would always say you know you we practice for the times when we can't practice you know so like having just even like a simple simple practices of mindfulness they will just show up for you when you can't 
those skills, yeah. they're embedded in your system, your nervous system, you know? So like when you can't practice, like you have that kind of reservoir of like resiliency within you to like be able to, to be in whatever you're in. Um, and in your, the book, you wrote the book on um, the fear project in which you dive more into the idea of like a fear. And um, I would love if you could just talk to us a little about that, because I think that's kind of sometimes at the, at the root of a lot of this resistance to our, even our emotions or what's showing up for people. It, maybe they're not doing some extreme sport, but there's just, they're also having this kind of rea fear reaction in their lives, especially the way, you know, our lives are right now currently. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really interesting project because I, I basically decided to Saltwater Buddha and All Our Waves Are Water um, are storytelling books, uh, basically mm -hmm. little vignettes from my life about mostly about falling flat on my face and, um, and, and, and trying to learn from that. And then the Fear Project, I went into more of my journalistic mode and got to interview all these neuroscientists and extreme athletes and people in the army and doctors and so forth who work in high stress environments and are encountering like moments of true fear, um, like physical fear. If you're an extreme athlete or, or just extreme high stress, if you're a surgeon or something. Uh -huh. Um, so where it's just like things are really on the line and, um, and I wanted to get into just the science of like, why is fear there? When is, cause obviously these emotions do have no ground and yet some of them are, if you look at them from an evolutionary um, perspective, are there for a reason, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, um, you know, we feel fear of certain situations because it might truly be dangerous and you need to get away or you might have an intuition that somebody's just um, not, you know, safe to be around or, um, or you might just feel some natural anxiety that's giving you energy. And so I just wanted to investigate like, outside of a spiritual lens, what does science have to say? I felt kind of behind the times on all this science, yeah. neuroscience stuff going on. And I mean, it was really fascinating because basically, I mean, I, I was, I found that scientists were saying a lot of what Dharma says about resistance, um, but they were just framing it in different language. So, um, I mean, the book is vast, but yeah. to, to just get into one area of it that I think is really applicable to mindfulness and, and all of life is, um, is that here we are experiencing fear every day um, about usually about things that are about to happen in the future, like, say, a speech you have to give or a, you know, a meeting you have to prepare for. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that fear can be um, sort of debilitating if your f flight excuse me fight flight or freeze response turns on uh -huh. where you just kind of like become like deer in the headlights um which is clearly not helpful <laughs> yeah um or it can sort of um give you some energy to really give a dynamic performance like i've heard opera singers or performers say that they really want to feel butterflies because that's what gives them a dynamic performance or you have like athletes in the olympics who um, always break their, <clears throat> their record in, on the most stressful day. It's like, that's where it counts. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and they, and they often talk about how nervous they were. And so fear can kind of clearly go two directions where it can be harnessed, um, for sort of greater flow, uh -huh. um, because it's sort of, 
Um, or it can be like the deer in the headlight situation where it's really debilitating and it spins you out into a really unpleasant sensation. And the difference if you look at those two paths is basically how much you're able to accept the fear. First, identify it. And then, and then just like mindfulness, like there it is, I'm feeling fear. And then let it be. Because as soon as you add fear to fear, or you say, oh, no, I'm feeling afraid, I'm going to choke, or I'm going <laughs> to freeze uh-uh, up, yeah. or I, you know, um, that storytelling around it is basically can push a natural amount of adrenaline into the kind of the red zone. Um, whereas if you mix fear with um, kind of excitement or um, or, in, or, or love, for, ex- for example, like math students, they do these experiments where they're like, okay, pop quiz, you're going to have cameras on you and you ha- whole grade is on the line in this math test. And um, most people do worse because they're like stressed out about that. But the people who do better in that situation than they would have done if there hadn't been stress are the math lovers. Because uh, they're basically saying, oh, hell yeah, a challenge? Like, I yeah. love this, you know? And mm-hmm. so they're combining this kind of love of math for um, with, like, this adrenaline. And so it really, um, it really makes you think in that situation of, like, wow, how important it is to really try to live with purpose and do something that you care about and that you actually um, – enjoy or can good-naturedly bear because um, because we have anxiety in our life we're going to and if you can frame that as like hey this is stressful but I'm so lucky to be doing this have the opportunity to teach kids or to write a book or to you know interview people on a podcast if you're kind of aligned with your um, purpose then you can it's much more easy I think to frame that sort of anxiety and and accept it and then turn it into flow so that's just one little snippet of a vast topic but i it was so fascinating to me that that the neuroscience and scientists and psychologists um sometimes using mindfulness uh, explicitly were basically stumbling on on some very similar insights to to um yogis and uh you know back when yeah that's amazing because i mean really it just comes down to you know, for the most part, like, what's your point of view? And like, like you were saying, like, if you're in something that you're passionate about, like, that you can channel that, that, that fear, whatever that is, that stress, it becomes like fuel to support, you know, fuel for you to be there or fuel for you to do that work or whatever happens to be because you're, we call this, I call this kind of like being your highest why. So like, Mm. if you're, if you're in your highest why, like, what you're doing is really, kind of deep like this deep connection to like what the work you want to do in some way then it, it's like it's just it's like almost like a like a a way to to reaffirm that you're doing the right thing you know it's when you when you stay in that moment and you you channel that energy into uh that performance or whatever it happens to be because it's true like if, if you're in a situation where it's really not like what you want to be doing like then you, you get into that kind of stressful moment and you're like, ah, I'm done. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tapping out, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I think a lot of people, people can really apply that to their everyday life too, like it just in their work, you know, in the world. And, you know, I have friends who have corporate jobs who like all they had to do was like switch departments. Yeah. And then that stress turned into a totally different situation. Like you were just mentioning, it became more of like fuel to like, to spread the message of whatever it was that they were doing. So... Yeah, I think it comes back to our narrative and story. Like we all, um, I think, somewhere in our in our you know sort of soul's DNA, have an inkling of of wanting to be useful to our fellow humans and um, or mm-hmm. you know Earth and and when you're yeah and and even you can usually align more with that even if you're not in your perfect job that where you're like hey i wanted to be a movie star but i'm you know here at the grocery store there's some way you can kind of like shift or hop to the next lily pad Uh um that is closer to where you feel like you know um uh, your values are like, I think it really comes down to, yeah, that narrative of purpose and, and where your values are. And I think it's a sign if the stress you're experiencing is not a stress that you can frame in the positive where you're like, this is a challenge that's good. That could help me grow. Um, I mean, every, every stress stressor is something that can make you more resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just in a negative environment where, like, your boss is negative, you're doing something you don't care about, your, um, you know, your coworkers are, and it, and it's just stress on stress, um, and you don't feel like there's a purpose there, I think it's really hard to do what we're talk harder, much harder to do what we're talking about and frame it um, in a way where, um, where yeah, you can get into. Um, framing fear in the positive because I mean at its very base um, if you take the label fear away all it is is energy in your body or maybe a tightening in some places but uh-huh. basically you're taking from your digestion uh-huh. and your parasympathetic system to say hey here's some energy for your limbs and your um, to do something now uh-huh. and um and that's all it is. It's just energy shifting in the body. And so, um, of course, like, there's like how ways we label to it. That. Yeah. 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 And um, it's not helpful when you want to go to sleep and you happen to think about something that's like, you're like, I don't want to fight or flee or have energy to write a paper right now. Yeah. Um, and that's when also having just some tools in your toolkit, like you were saying, where you're like, okay, well, I have this energy now. I could meditate for 40 minutes and I know that my body will start um, to get these signals and my ancient lizard brain will see, well, hey, if you're still and you're breathing here, just chilling, that means there's no bear around and like I can go back to parasympathetic mode and <laughs> give yeah. that energy back to digestion and you can fall asleep. So Yeah. And that's one of the challenges I think just living in like, I mean, the Western culture where I live, you know, and I live in California and I mean, a lot of people, it's like we're kind of com- bombarded by all this stimuli where I feel like a lot of my students or people I see on retreat, like they have a hard time differentiating between what is like a real, 
Like our bodies don't know how to differentiate between all the onslaught of what's, ha- you know, all the information that we're getting and like the stress of traffic and car accidents and, and whatnot. And like, you know, the, the, you know, fleeing the bear moment. And how do we start to, you know, kind of tease that apart a little bit and, um, and actually look at these moments and look at them and say, you know, is this, is this fear? Is this energy? And sometimes, I mean, I have, you know, students who will be really excited about something and they're, they're actually misidentifying it as fear. Um, yeah. And so kind of learning to get that, having that emotional intelligence again, where, you know, you kind of get to feel your emotions all the way through and really feel like, Oh, is this fear? Or is this actually just, I'm actually really excited. I'm a little nervous, but like sometimes we start to like, I think, group some of these you know emotions together as thinking that one's the other and um, yes and in the water i'm sure people really have to (laughs) like a surfing i mean my family surfs i'm not a big surfer but um i can just see out there it's like you have to really kind of have that that skill to be like okay you know can i stay present in the moment and use this as excitement or Maybe I don't mm-hmm. take that wave because I know it's just not appropriate for me. <laughs> it's it's like anything. It's a little microcosm of our of of the larger world, and I think it's why really sports in general can be a, a yoga because you're having to make split second decisions um, and um, and read your body's signals really closely and and mm-hmm. keep opening up to like oh I'm nervous about that but I still have to be aggressive or um, and, and then you can take that into other life situations, you know? Um, but I mean, sports are certainly not the only context where you can do that. You can do that on the yoga mat where you're, you know, um, it's like, can you, can you hold that posture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a beat longer and let go into it? Um, but I think it's also important to, you know, to interact with other sort of, not just static substances like or environments where it's like you and your mat or you and your Zafu. It's like you take that out into a place where it's dynamic, Mm -hmm. um, whether you're doing dance or, um, uh, karate or surfing, you know, it's all this kind of where there's a call and response aspect to your yoga practice because, um, it's funny. I mean, having lived in like a monastery for, you know, almost a year and, you know, doing tons of meditation, um, in comparison to what I do now. Um, I feel like I was, I was training myself for a very specific way of relating to the world and certainly getting more blissful states of, of mind and, um, more subtle states, but I wasn't getting that interactive training of like being with humans and being with in relationship um, <laughs> in relationship or really even having to deal with any like buddy being angry at me or a, a kid throwing a tantrum at me <laughs> or a, a wave throwing a tantrum at me where you and so I think it's so it's yeah it's it's really positive to and, and we're forced into it as lay people because we're not in a monastery mm-hmm. life is just throwing itself at us um, but I think having a, I don't know about you, if you've found this, but I mm-hmm. think having like a stillness practice and then one that's dynamic yeah. where you can, it's still protected from the world where you're not like watching the news, but you're, um, 
and it's a mindfulness practice, but it's also like in movement and in relationship. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I mean, parenthood for me was like one of the big, the big practices, like, because I, you know, nothing really pushed my buttons, <laughs> like children, you know, because it's, it, there's something about, I think, also just, you know, you're sleep deprived and, and whatnot. And that was really like, I had to really bring my practice off the cushion into the world. Um just yeah. like dealing with toddlers and like sleep, like for me, I didn't sleep that much for the first few years and, you know, really um, putting my practice into, into practice, you know, and um, I think that's where the juice is too. Cause that's where, when you get to use it in the world, it's like, that's when you get to really see like, wow, like what a gift that is to be able to have these, these tools or these ways of, of walking through the world where you know, you have some sort of support beneath you in a way, you know? Um, yeah, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, about that being challenging. Um, <laughs> no idea at all. Um, <laughs> no, I do feel like that is where the juicy stuff is. I mean, it certainly has been, I mean, yeah, multiple days a day, I feel at my edge where I'm like, I can't take it anymore. And, and then having to use practice in those moments, like I never had that opportunity pre- you know, having three children. Um, and it made me realize, I mean, for, I wish I had had this experience, of course, when I didn't have children or be able to go back because I realized how, um, I guess basically how much I was complaining about things that weren't that big of a deal and, mm -hmm. and not challenging myself in, in ways where I think I could have grown, um, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty, and I don't have any regrets. But I think when you're forced into a situation where you truly have to find your resilience, um, you're like, oh man, if I would have appreciated how much <laughs> leisure time I had, and how much like that really wasn't um, that stressful of a moment, you know. But there's something about where you you you're you're forced into that situation i think that's what a really great teacher does i mean all my um you know i studied under this lineage a chan lineage where the master had passed away but i always heard these great stories of the things he would make his students do which were just you know really difficult like mm -hmm. you know um they create, they create that pressure cooker for you for that pressure cooker of, of like growth, right? To Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just to take you to your edge a little bit. And I think if you look at great, you know, violin teachers or great, you know, um, Olympic trainers or anybody there, that's really their job is to take you to your edge so you can find your potential. And um, it's hard to do that for yourself and um but mm -hmm. we can and we can edge that way yeah um it but just like, takes practice it's yeah no fun no it's not that yeah <laughs> but i think that's part of that idea of like i don't know if you've heard this idea of like um the upper limit it's a gay hendrix kind of concept where he talks a lot about how like how do we move our, our, our upper limit of comfortability in a situation and expand that upper limit so that we can grow and like it's often, you know, we have to have these moments where we're in that pressure cooker a little bit to, yeah. to, to force ourselves to grow into that next situation. Um, and so I always talk about, you know, 
take, I teach a lot of yoga teachers how to teach yoga. And I often talk to them about how like, sometimes you have to take that, that step that take that class that, you know, is going to really, you know, be that, you know, maybe there's gonna be 50 people in it instead of five, and really force yourself to grow in that way. And then you kind of grow into that commitment. I don't know if that makes sense. But Mm -hmm. there's little ways to do it um, in our lives, for sure. Thank you so much for for being here on the podcast today. And I know we have limited amount of time. But I wanted to just ask you what you have going on right now, because I just was perusing your website and whatnot, and just saw there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking. And thanks for having me. I'd love we could clearly rap all day about this. Um, uh, yeah, so I have some fun stuff going on. I just finished a Kickstarter for my first novel, which is kind of my, you know, dropping myself with that class with 50 people. It's something um, something I've always wanted to do in my writing was explore this world, the world of fiction. I think because it's um, sometimes a way to sort of tap into uh, the unconscious or what you, the things you're, you're wanting to write about that you're not even sure you want to write about. Um, uh-huh. and, and so I'm doing a fantasy novel um, kind of in the YA, like Harry Potter genre, but it takes place in, in Hong Kong and basically like an 11 year old and his two friends find a dragon egg and it hatches. But I really loved the, um, I really loved this mythology in, in China that dragons are basically, they're very connected to water and weather Mm -hmm. and, um, they're kind of representative of primal energies. Um, but they also, you know, have a tangible stories where they do things and, you know, they interact with people. And so I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is too fun to um, not try to form an adventure story about it. So I'm I'm about halfway through that and I'm uh, having a lot of fun with it and, and hitting a lot of fear with it, but having fun opening to the fear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and just because it's a new thing, you know, it's so different writing fiction than nonfiction. And um, and then I have a really fun thing going right now where uh, with um, some producers are trying to make my books into a TV show. And oh, wow. they and they know a lot about this. And um, and we're we're just in the early stages of it. But they um, it's fun to learn about that world and. And I think also just collaborate with other people creatively. It's another thing that I think um, going back to what we were talking about, about are you afraid of this or just excited about it? I think I used to be really afraid Uh to collaborate with other people creatively because I'm a little bit of a control freak and I like to (laughs) kind of have my time and my world. I'm like, this is mine. But it turned out as I sort of was forced into it that I think I was just a little bit afraid of of exposing my, my creative process and 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 having to be vulnerable in the that area and I think the more that I do that the more I'm like this is so fun you know just yeah. to be with other other people bouncing ideas off the wall so you know fingers it's a weird world the whole television production world like I don't yeah. I hopefully I will have something and be like this show is actually happening now it's um but even just the early stages of, um, you know, talking with 
with uh, dreaming it up has been really fun. Yeah. And just collaborating science too. It's like you create something so far beyond what you thought was possible. Sometimes that can happen. So that's kind of, that's kind of like a fun ride. (laughs) It is. It's a fun ride, you know, getting to um, go beyond. Yeah. Well, exciting. And so people, um, I'll link, of course, all your books and all your projects um, in the show notes for this page. And, um, on the, the blog post for this episode. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Today's show was brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day 30, 30 free trial membership. So you can just go to emilyperryyoga.com audible and grab your free trial. Now, a great book you can get today to check out would be The Fear Project by Jamal Yogis. You can also pick out any book for free. It doesn't have to be my recommendation. You can browse so many titles over there on Audible. So again, it's emilyperryyoga.com audible and grab your free audiobook. I also hope to see you in October 2018 for Pathway to Purpose Live. We're about halfway full and right now is a time to claim your spot if you're going to join us. Head to pathwaytopurposelive.com, learn more, claim your seat, and I'll see you here in California in October. And of course, our podcast page is innershiftpodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes listed. You can also subscribe to us in you know, your podcast uh, listening device. We love to hear from you. Also, if you leave us a review, you might get mentioned in an episode. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, be well.